some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Gabriel Talks Football is a production of the Barroom Network. Make sure you follow Greg on Twitter at G-G-A-B-E football and follow the Barroom Network at Barroom Network. If you prefer to see the video version of this show, just go to YouTube and search Barroom Network. You'll see a list of our live shows and Gabriel Talks Football is there. Welcome, everyone, to a fresh edition of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. Somebody online on the chat room said, why don't we rename the show Gabriel Talks Football Online? And I've asked him, well, why online? He hasn't responded yet, so we'll see what he's got in mind. <laughs> but uh, just want to let you know that tomorrow it'll be the Dan and Aldo uh, Bear Their Souls show. Uh, Buffon 55 is back on Wednesday, preceding them. is the Bardon Hockey Talk show on uh, at 2 p.m., Wednesday afternoon, and then with Mac and Reed. So we got a full slate of shows the first three days and a few more to end the week uh, to get you ready for the upcoming game the Chicago Bears have with the Detroit Lions and lots of other sports news. Let me bring in the man of the hour. His name is Greg Gabriel, and he's got a very fashionable XFL hat on. Nice. I it's like very that nice. hat. You know, kind of looks like a Raiders hat. You know, yeah. but it, I, I I liked it. It fits good. It looks good. Even it looks if it, good you know, the, the old logo and it doesn't exist anymore. That's fine. Yeah. So, so uh, how have you been feeling? That's the more important thing. You were a little under the weather. You getting better? It's getting there. Slowly but surely. You know, I had that mm-hmm. one procedure on Thursday and put me on a new med. I'm getting mm-hmm. there. I'm hoping I've been to the gym in two months, and you know how I like like to go to the gym. Yeah, uh, hoping I can go back next week. Well, good luck with that. Uh, you look and sound better than ever. Uh, so let's get straight to Chicago Bears talk. I put up on social media a soundbite of Kevin Warren, the president and CEO. He was named into that position eleven, almost eleven full months ago. And he talked about uh, working together as a team and so forth. And he talked a little bit about football operations. But you texted me during the weekend and said, I want to talk about this BS about Kevin Warren being uh, head well, of football there's a lot, there's, Yeah, there's a lot to it. But if you're going to play the clip, play the clip. But if not, I'll, I'll, we'll just start. Jump right into it, brother. As president of the club, he oversees everything. That includes – football operations. It includes all the money. It includes advertising, mm-hmm. selling of boxes. I, I mean, anything you can think of, he oversees. So, you know, the head coach reports to the GM, the GM reports to the president. The right, but what people, you know, there's been some reports, some national, some just guessing, some local, but what people fail to understand is there's contracts involved. And in these contracts, there are clauses that give people, such as Ryan Poles, control over certain areas. And one area he has total control over of is football operations. Mm-hmm. Football, All football operations, the 53-man roster, the head coach, he has control over the head coach, but not the coaching staff. The head coach has control over the coaching staff. So 
it's if you're going to take away something from Ryan Poles to say, I'm going to run it, you're violating his contract. He can turn around, walk out to the door, say, see ya, and you're going to pay him because you're violating his contract. Okay, mm -hmm. so what I really think the story is, is that Kevin is probably going to be more involved than Ted was. And, you know, being the back, having the background that he has, you know, he may see some better ways of doing things and say, hey, Ryan, you know, maybe we ought to do this. Maybe we ought to do that. You talk it over. Maybe you do it. Maybe you don't. But I don't see it being anything really more than that. It's not that he's going to be more hands on. It's going to be that he's going to be more involved in that he knows exactly what's going on. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, it means that uh, as opposed to being, you know, uh, 1% involved in football operations where you just kind of told things, he's going to be in meetings and he's going to challenge. He's going to ask questions. He's going to he, – basically he, he said it in that soundbite when he was with the Rams – it was all about the details, and he is going to help with the details. And and you can I've been in this situation before in many movie productions, TV productions I've been in, where you go over every single detail. Well, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? And so right. I think that's going to be his role now. He's going to have a big voice in that, and perhaps Ted didn't. Listen, this guy knows football. You know, Ted never professed to know football. So that's going to be an interesting. Well, let's, let's go back to Ted's background. Ted's background was an accountant. Right. Okay. And he came in as an accountant, then took over the contracts and gradually, you know, gained more power within the organization. Mm -hmm. A lot of the reason being is that, you know, Michael McCaskey was doing it. Michael was not qualified to do it from the standpoint of background, other than being a member of the Lucky Sperm Country Club and being a McCaskey. Um, good guy, but his running of a football club was not up with people that know how to run a football club. You know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm not taking any shots at Michael because I really like Michael. It's just that, you know, it, it's, it is what it is. So I think, you know, I think, of all, you know, I know all the McCaskies. The guy who has the most football knowledge is Brian. And Brian worked in, as, as an assistant trainer for a number of years. You know, he's quite involved. Um, and, you know, I think his just football intelligence, for lack of a better word, is probably the best of anybody in the group. But he also falls a lot further down the totem pole of the McCaskey family chain than George does, who was next. And George is very good. You know, he ran the ticket office for a number of years and did a hell of a job. You know, and I, and I really believe this and I don't have to stick up for the family. I don't work for the club. It's be, is that George and the McCaskies in general get a, a lot of people take shots at him for no reason, you know, because they just don't understand. And it's real easy. Take a shot at the owner. They're cheap. They're the, that's bullshit. 
you know, because they really don't know what's going on inside the building. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's an old narrative that the Bears don't spend any money. They spend as much money as any other NFL team. And if now they're more. trying, if not more, exactly. And now they're trying to build a new stadium with uh, a lot of it being their own money. So uh, that's just a, an unfair narrative that came over when Mike Ditka fam famously said or infamously said, George Hallis throws around nickels like they're manhole covers. Um, and uh, so in, it's in fairness, George might have back then. You didn't have a salary cap, right? You know, you paid what you wanted to pay, and mm -hmm. you you could be a little stingier. Now, I I obviously never met George or Jordan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, George Senior, and and so uh, that's you know that's fine. Back then, that could have been true. But we're also mm -hmm. talking this was well over forty years ago, not two thousand twenty three. Mm -hmm. uh, let me ask you this, because I'll go back to almost a year from now when fans were clamoring and say this team uh, needs, you know, uh, another executive so that Ryan Poles can bounce things off of. And you were like, bullshit. The GM makes all the final decisions. You're, he's already got an assistant general manager and so forth. Well, how do you feel now with Kevin Warren's existence at Hallis Hall and him taking some kind of a role in the, in in checking those details, as I put it? Well, he's a, he's a totally different kind of executive than Ted was, and I'm not mm -hmm. criticizing Ted. Different personalities, more approachable, um, more experienced in certain areas than, than Ted was. Uh, I think he's a much better people person from what I've seen, because I don't know him, um, mm -hmm. than, than Ted was. Ted can be, can be tough, you know, and, and argumentative and, and uh, no, this is the way we're doing it. End of discussion. Now, in fairness, like if, you know, I submit a budget every year for my department. And if there's something that came up during the next six, seven months that wasn't in the budget and we needed money to get it, then I had to go see him and he never once said no. All you had to do was tell him why and why mm -hmm. it's important. You know, basically sell it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, which we're able to do. So from that standpoint, it was good. Um, it's funny that C-Sharp puts up this question. Whatever they do, keep Cliff Stein. He's the best in the business. And that's something that you have said as well. And it's funny that he posted that just as I was thinking about my next question, which is Kevin Warren has a history of being a player agent. He was an agent for uh, Chris Zorich and, and some other players. So he knows something about the negotiating business. Do you think that could be a hindrance in any way? Could he perhaps block Cliff Stein by maybe asking too many questions. I know in, in the corporate world, you hate it when too many people get in the room and start sharing their opinions. With, and it's like, wait a minute, what we started off with is totally different than what we had here. Well, I mean, Cliff's a friend and a very good friend. Has been for 21 years. But he's also a valuable part of the organization well thought of, and I should say highly thought of within the organization. But Cliff is really carrying two hats. He's the corporate counsel, which is a huge job. And he's 
overseeing the cap. So now he brought in an assistant a year and a half ago when he uh, in this um, what's his name Mike Feinside or where Feinstein, and he's gradually working his way into doing more and more contracts, even though Cliff oversees the whole thing. Because really, it's gotten to a point where where you can't put too much on Cliff's plate. He's not going to be able to get everything done the right way. But right. he can, you know, he, he knows how to do a contract. He knows what the right numbers are. He researches the hell out of it. And you're never going to beat him because very seldom do the people on the other side of the table do one-tenth of the research that he does. Mm-hmm. And I know that for a fact because I've seen it in action. So, you know, he, he's just so invaluable to the organization. And, and you know, Kevin's done a lot of things. And, the, and all that experience within the organization is only a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as they communicate and come up, you know, Kevin may think this is the right way to do something. Ryan may say, well, I like this a little bit better. You talk about it and you come up with a solution. It's really the same as, you know, you're talking about a player. I got a certain grade on a player. I like him a certain way. You know, Jerry had liked him differently. Might, might've liked him less, might've liked him more. You talk about it and you come up with a, a general opinion that everybody agrees with. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent uh, stuff. Uh, we've got some questions. They've got Creighton, Berlissimo has got a comment I want to share with you. Marifa, ASAR, uh, Jeff. Uh, let me, in fact, let me put Jeff's up uh, now. Please tell me that Trace Armstrong isn't Getsy's agent. I guess. I have no, uh, I have no idea. Okay, because I uh-huh. guess Armstrong is the agent for Ryan Poles and and Eberflus. And Eberflus. Okay. Do you find that to be some kind of a conflict of interest? Have you ever encountered no, something it, like that? It, it happens. Yeah, and, and it's it, not a it big happens, deal, right? it happens a lot more than you think in the league. Because there's mm-hmm. really very few good front office agents. There's a bunch of player agents but guys mm-hmm. who specialize in in coaches and we're talking like head coaches general managers not assistant coaches uh there's very few that are really really good you know it's like a handful yeah and so yeah you're gonna have that crossover and if you want to call it um Whatever, I mean, you know, you're free to do that, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. Could it have a little bit of influence? It might because being represented by the same guy, you've probably had opportunities to talk to a person a little bit more. So you mm-hmm. you might have a good feeling for him. But I, I admit I'm throwing a dart at the wall on that one. I can't tell you that for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, you know, uh, an agent could say on behalf of his client, say Matt Eberflus, to his other client, say Ryan Post, hey, 
give Matt another chance. Let, let me let me make my pitch as to why he would be good for this organization. Or do you think he's going to stay out of that? I, I would think that he's probably going to pick up the phone and try to keep his client employed. Well, that's his job. Yeah, of course he's going. Of course he's going to do it. But mm -hmm. reality is the. The final opinion or what's going to happen is going to really be determined by three people. George, mm -hmm. Kevin, Ryan. And they're going to go from there. And, and I'd be willing to say it's going to be unanimous opinion. Yeah. You know, okay. and, and they're going to say, okay, either we're going to give one more. And, and I honestly feel I, I've had this question asked probably a half a dozen times in the last four or five days, can he save his job? And mm -hmm. I think, honestly, that's like I said the other day, he's got to win four out of the last five. And that ain't going to be easy. Yeah. Somebody freaked out. If he wins, even if he wins four out of the last five, I don't know if it's a lock. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot. I mean, this is like a countdown. These last five games, there's so much going on. You well, know, as, let, me as add, let me add this, though. I'm sorry to interrupt. Is that no. part, part of the equation is who the hell's out there? Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just fire a guy to bring in somebody that isn't going to be as good as he was. Right. You know, it, it's what's the pool look like? Now, yeah. I, I admit I haven't studied the pool that much. I think the best candidate from the, the little I've done is Dan Quinn. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest with you, coaches that I've been around have been the most successful coaches in my entire career are defensive coaches. Hmm. Or I, I don't know if they're more grounded or what. Now, I don't think there is, in this particular year, this cycle, really great names on the offensive side. Now, there mm -hmm. may be some names that I don't, know about and that I need to find out about, like the Colts guy. I didn't know much about him. And he's done a really darn good job for the Colts. Like it. Yeah. And yeah. um and he came from the Philly staff. And there, you know, could there be another guy like him? Yeah, there could be. Um you know I think one of the names that was getting tossed around and we're really getting ahead of ourselves because there's no job available, but, um, you know, it's Kellen Moore. Mm -hmm. But like it or not, the Dallas offense is a lot better without Kellen Moore than it was with Kellen Moore. How about so that? So that, really, yes. that really hurts Kellen Moore's candidacy, I think. Mm -hmm. And, and totally. well, Ben Johnson gets a lot of accolades. He's still very, very young and been a coordinator for a little more than a year and a half. Yeah. Where Quinn's been a head coach, been a longtime coordinator. And I'll tell you a guy, there's two guys. One name you probably like. Okay. And the other name you won't. But I know him, and I know how good he is. Uh, the name that I really like is Aaron Glenn, Detroit's D.C., and I was watching I the thing, like and, and, it, and it came 
it you know kind of hit me last night. I was watching a clip of the locker room, Houston's locker room, and D'Amico Ryan's with the team in the locker room after. Mm-hmm. And he and he's fiery. And I remember interviewing D'Amico Ryan's uh, when he was coming out of Alabama. Teddy Monaco loved this guy. And Teddy was a hundred percent correct on him. Uh, a great leader at the University of Alabama, team guy, well liked, very, very intelligent. And you know, he carried that over to his playing days and now to his coaching days. And you watch him in the locker room and the players just respond to him. There's no boringness to him. He's very genuine, but he knows how to fire you up too. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is probably because he played. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Glenn played. He's a pretty damn good corner. Like I remember being at Texas A&M for his pro day, and he had like the best three cone, I think, best three cone and 20 shuttle I've ever seen, you know, up to that time. He was like a rocket ship. And so that, that's a name to me that's interesting. Put it that, you know, and, and all I can say is he's worth talking to. Does that mm-hmm. mean you're going to give him the job? No, he should be a candidate that you're talking to. And the other one, this is probably going to be the name that you don't like, is Steve Wilkes. And Steve was screwed over Royal in Arizona. Mm-hmm. They gave him that job to fire him a year later. And then, you know, you had all the, the problems with the GM getting the DUI and talk secretly to him on the on the cell phone and Steve wouldn't do it. Didn't feel comfortable with it because that's what kind of person Steve is. Um, he was just set up to fail. So I think you got to throw that whole part of his career right out the window. It means nothing. But then yeah. last year, when Matt rule gets fired at Carolina, Steve has to take over on an interim basis. And that's not an easy job. He wins six games. And just about to a man, every player wanted him to be the head coach. Hmm. And look at the job he's doing in San Francisco as the coordinator this year. I mean, he just kicked the shit out of Philly last night. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was a super impressive win last night. Now, the Eagles have played three games in 13 games, and it looked like they ran out of gas. But nonetheless, that, that 49 Well, and Steve, Steve has been here, too. He was on Lovey staff. Oh, that's so, right. That's right. Forgot and, about and, that. And Revere, you know, Rivera was the DC. Steve was the was the uh, defensive back coach. So I know Steve well, and I know mm-hmm. what kind of person he is. I know what kind of coach he is, and he can be fiery too. And I, I, I like fiery coaches, not yeah, asshole I, coaches, but fiery coaches. Exactly. I Ron don't want Rivera any- was a fiery coach. Hmm. But now you can't have a guy that has all that and then he wants all the control. You know, he wants to, you know, to, to steal my mentor, Bill Parcells, saying, you know, you can't have a guy that wants to buy the groceries. No, cook the meal. I'll, we'll get to the groceries. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all right. While we're on the subject of fixing things, Ma'arifa Asai, I apologize if I messed up that name. He says, whose job is it to fix Justin Fields' weaknesses? So is that the QB coach? Is that the offensive coordinator? Is that a team of people? Both. Okay. And I think, and I've given this a lot of thought, and I think I'm being fair 
saying this. It's his third year in the league. I don't think he's had good coaching the entire time he's been in the league. Wow. Wow. You Some know, people the, have the, been the, saying the, that. The system he is in right now is a very good system. The Rams won a Super Bowl with it. San Francisco uses that system. Green Bay had a lot of success with that system. Houston's using that system right now, and, and, and they're doing a pretty good job with the rookie quarterback. The system works. It's how you use the system, how you coach the system, and how you teach the people within the system. Mm. Well, the, but the problem could be, uh, can Justin Field, is Justin Fields capable of playing in that system? Or because he's such an athletic quarterback, does he need a special system that's more compatible with his athleticism? It's real simple. You make adjustments within the system. That doesn't change the basic philosophy of the system. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, to me, to me, that's the easiest answer and, and the correct answer. Mm -hmm. You don't have to develop a whole new system. You make changes within. But the, the, the scheme itself has been proven over the years to be an excellent scheme. Mm -hmm. But you got to have the right guy setting up the plays, calling the plays, you know, playing everybody to their strengths. And I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I think they're the the Chase Claypool fiasco actually hurt the offense because in this particular scheme, you prefer to have a bigger guy play in the X receiver. And right, right. now, as it now EQ got more play time in this past game, mm -hmm. but in the weeks leading up to that, you had Tyler Scott playing the X. Mm -hmm. Tyler Scott is not an X. Nope. You know, so he's really – he's not an X in this scheme. Now, if you're going to bring in a new head coach and a new scheme, you're going to be changing a lot of that. So maybe that big receiver, the profile for that big receiver isn't necessarily going to be part of a, of a new scheme. Gotcha. You know, so you don't, you don't need that type of guy. But he is within the profile of the scheme right now. Tim and uh, James have similar questions. Uh, do you think there is any scenario that Luke Getze returns if the uh, Chicago Bears keep Justin Fields? Oh, I think they're going to keep Justin Fields. I, I think now I've gotten to the point where, you know, and you know how I argued against that after game three. But right. I think since then, he has – improved dramatically in spite of what they're trying to do. Last mm -hmm. week being a perfect example, the play calling was atrocious, at least in my opinion it was. You know, and it just didn't give him a chance to get it to get for the offense to do anything, let alone Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. You know, the play calling was just terrible. But, you know, you got to think, if you bring in a rookie – you're going back to square one. So you're going back to losing for another couple of years. Unless, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you get a situation like Stroud who gets a little lucky and, you know, now they've won seven games. Hell, they might push for a playoff spot. But that's the exception, not the rule. 
And yeah. who's to say? Now, I, I would think, you know, going into this year, if you polled all 32 GMs and say, who's, who's the number one pick in the draft? Every single one of them would have said Caleb Williams, without question. Right. And Caleb started off the season the same way he finished it last year. It was really strong. He played real good as a freshman at Oklahoma, but it, same scheme, same coach. But then the last, starting with the Notre Dame game, he went downhill. I don't know why. You know, the only way you're going to find that out is talk to the coaching staff and figure, you know, what went wrong here? But all of a sudden, his reads weren't as good. He was turning the ball over. He wasn't making sharp throws. Wasn't getting the ball out of his hands as well. It was like he's a different player those mm -hmm. last four or five games of the year. And that is obviously got to put some question marks in your head, which means you've got to do more research. Yeah. And right. the same thing, Drake May doesn't have the supporting cast that, that Caleb Williams has. And, and in fairness, Caleb doesn't have the supporting cast he had a year ago. Yes. Very true. So, and, and, and that is an important part of the equation. But Drake May, you know, finishing up the season he wasn't quite up to snuff as he was last year and earlier in the season so what you're going to ask yourself is when you come to make that decision is are we better off because let's assume they're going to have the the first pick and on a weekly basis it keeps looking like they will have the first pick mm -hmm. arizona the only team who could screw that up is New England by and Carolina winning one more game, but even then they'd have the second pick. So they're not going to have worse than probably the second pick, having Carolina's you know draft choice for the trade from last year. You got to make up your mind: Are we better off with one of these young guys, or staying status quo with Justin? Now, and I, I I listen to people like. Chase Daniels, who's very knowledgeable and played the, even though he's never really a starter, started games, but most part he's a backup, a very knowledgeable, knows and understand the position. He's of the mindset, no, you've got to keep him around. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, that's, he's got a chance to be a real good player. I think he's, you know, I've come about face. I think he's got a chance to be a real good player. He's done some th things recently that just like, yeah, it's there, yeah. but he needs some help. And, and and I don't mean the help as players. I mean the help as what they're doing to help him right. schematically. Right. Uh, right. And if that's, if that's the determination they come up with, if they have one or two, they're trading it. Mm -hmm. that's, you take that one to the bank. They're trading it. Forever wants one of those quarterbacks, and you're going to get a, you know, boatload of picks just like they got last year, and that's better for the franchise. You got to think of what's the best for the franchise to help the franchise succeed. So, uh, Luis Lopez says, "Why is Greg so sure they're going to keep Justin? Not against it, but have you, Greg, spoken to anyone that would lead just you to?" My gut feeling from watching his play 
watching how people react to him. Mm -hmm. And also looking at who you're going to replace him with. Mm -hmm. Because the guy you replace him with better be better. Mm -hmm. And it's, and I would, you know, I think one of the exercises you could do is go back to when Justin was in his final year at Ohio State and compare that to Caleb's final year at USC and compare it to Drake May's final year at North Carolina. And I guarantee you, 99.9% will say, I think Justin was a little better. Justin only got to the national championship game and literally totally outplayed the guy who was the number one pick in the draft <laughs> and played hurt and still had one of the great all-time quarterback games in history. Yep. I'm okay, surprised so, he wasn't the, he wasn't the number two overall draft pick after that performance. You know, I, I, it's beyond that whole thing is beyond me. I mean, you know, Zach Wilson and the guy from North Dakota, give me a break. That was that was bus waiting to happen with both of them. Yeah. Evie makes a really good point. She says, Did you see Justin Love or Jordan Love last night with all his playmakers? Plus, he had a veteran quarterback to learn from, which is something Justin did not have. They did a really nice job in Green Bay, slowly bringing him around, not rushing him. And then, you know, in his what third or fourth year in the league, they said, Okay, you know, we've been waiting. This is your shot. You better go in there and do it. And while he's had some hiccups, certainly now over the last three or four games, he's playing at an at an he's, elite he's level. He's playing a lot better. He's playing at elite level, but he's playing damn good. Okay. But um, they did it just like they did it with Rodgers. Rodgers sat behind Favre. And, when he was, and then when they got chose to get rid of Favre, they brought the other guy, you know, brought Rodgers off the bench. Right. Same, thing, same thing with Love. In theory, that's the way it always used to be done. Not in theory, that's fact. It used to always be done that. Now, nobody has any patience, and you got to throw the guy in right away. And better than half the time, you're going to kill the kid's uh, psyche, confidence, and everything else because the team isn't. Because usually they're on a team that's poor to begin with. Right. They're going to get their ass kicked. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to lose confidence. The fans are going to start, you know, calling the guy a bus and jump all over the guy. You're going to have talk radio like they do in Chicago, do nothing but be cynical, negative asses. And it's, it's and speaking of that, there's a group of talk radio guys in this town that are just laying the foundation for the Bears to bring in a new quarterback okay. and, you know, setting it up for the punch in the mouth when they don't draft it. Hmm. So you think? Do you think that these uh, sports radio people, I'm assuming they are, um, are doing a disservice to the fans by creating their own narrative? And Look, then you, you know as well as I do that they can. They have a roundtable mm -hmm. to set up a narrative any way they want, and they can. You know, people listen to them. Thousands upon thousands listen to them every day so they can help create a voice within the fan base that 
is there is it a valid opinion fascinating so uh, today uh, uh, let me ask you do you agree with that i in my uh experience at, in working for the media now this was back in the 80s and 90s we we didn't think that way uh but so things have definitely changed it's a whole new world in the in in media now you know clickbaits is a real thing you try to come up with topics to lure people over to listen to what you're saying and so forth so there could be that kind of strategy but i do know that there are some very authentic journalistically inclined people in the media who share opinions like for instance jillian tells us uh, that today Brad Biggs said that Justin Fields is going to be gone. Uh, so I'm actually going to listen to that. It was a, it's a WSCR. He does a hit every morning on WSCR right. 670. Yeah, and so, yeah, so and I'm going to listen and, to that. And Big T is, for the most part, got really good takes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, just, I just don't see it right now. Now, if there's five games left, if Justin stinks in those five games, it, it, yeah, then I agree with Big Z wholeheartedly. But I don't think he's going to. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I just watching the way he's played for the most part, and I'm going to throw out that. I mean, he he had a, a great throw there to set up the the winning kick last week. What they had him do last week was a disservice. I, we'd have to go back through the the. The play calls, but I bet you they ran 10 freaking bubbles <laughs> or semi bubbles. That's absurd. Yeah, it is. You know, they never nope. tried. You know, you got to get the you You want to be the blitz, get the ball out of his hand quick, quick mm -hmm. out, quick slant, hot read. And they're doing all this stuff. And, and it's like, what the hell is he doing? And not only mm -hmm. that, Minnesota knew he was going to do it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're doing, of course you're doing that. That's what you do all the time. <laughs> Your old buddy, Lewis Riddick, said that the Bears' offense looks horrible and that he would, he'd love to take over uh, Justin Fields. Uh, he's still looking well, for Lewis a job. Is a <laughs> Lewis is a defensive guy. He was a safety. <laughs> Pretty good one, too. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, got tons and tons of stuff here. I want to get a couple of questions in before we move to our next topic. You know, Mike Withrow uh, says, if you read Field's scouting report, you probably made one. Uh, same, he's having the same problems that he had in college. Uh, that have played, it's they're still playing him in his third season. He sucks, says Mike. Seven and twenty-six. Now Who there are some. Report, That's yeah. a key question. Does the guy who wrote that scouting report have any credibility whatsoever? There you go. So come on back with your answer there, because Mike. Most and, uh, of the scouting oh. reports are public, are laughed at. Yeah. By right. people in the league. Yes. You know, there, there there's a lot of good uh panelists, you know, people who aren't professionally employed. Uh who do scouting on websites and, and podcasts and so forth. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. Well, that, but, that brings up a good point, which what I, okay. one of the things I want to bring up. One is Dave Brugler, who's very, very good. He's been well-trained. In fact, we should have, you know, once the season's over, we get into draft season, we should have Dane on. And I know it, Dane's a friend of mine, and I know he'd, he'd love to find 
Awesome. The other is is DJ Daniel Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. But Daniel worked in the league for better than 10 years. And you know, was fully acclaimed, highly respected scout. Now, but here's the key. It's one guy's opinion, Daniel's opinion. It's one guy's opinion over on the other side of the table. Dane's opinion. When you get into a scouting room, you've got six to eight different opinions on the same player. So, mm-hmm. and Daniel could say, I love this guy or I don't like this guy. You know, why did why did the Bears take so-and-so at this spot? Daniel had this guy four spots higher. So what? That was his opinion, and it's a single opinion. Mm-hmm. Where a team opinion is a group opinion. Now, who's in that opinion? There's the area scout. There's a cross-check scout. There's at least two decision makers. There's a position coach. There's a coordinator. There's a general manager. There's a bunch of people that know what the hell they're doing. And generally speaking, all those reports aren't the same. That's right. You know, there could be a, a, a variance in what it says. What their job is, is to come up with the right evaluation, which generally isn't as high as the best, isn't as low as the worst, somewhere in the middle and then you line up the reports and it's the same thing with dane 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 does a great job but that's his opinion mm-hmm. and you could put I, I used to say this a lot and this is the best way to describe it you could put four or five scouts in a room put the same tape on have them watch the same player and you're going to get four or five different opinions <laughs> because right. they look at things differently yeah, <laughs> it's a very subjective business. Yes, yes, it's so true. It is so true. I mean, even in my amateur looking at tape, I'll do it with Danny Shaman and so forth. I, this is what I see, Danny. I disagree with you, <laughs> so, but he definitely well, more, I, knows I, I much more I, than me. I think I said this. What I used to do, we have meetings, our, our opening meetings. You know, our preliminary board thing is really a more of an elimination meeting. It was right around now, first week in December. Mm-hmm. So, and, and like, this would be the week when I was there because they play a home game this week. And so we'd come in and they'd stay for the game and go home. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. they'd come in for the game, stay next week and go home, but one or the other. Yeah. And we'd go through a position at a time. Not going in depth, mm-hmm. basically trying to eliminate. But if there was a discrepancy, like Mark Mark Sadowski was uh, the south southeast coach uh, scout, and if I had been to a couple of schools he'd been, and Mark had a grade, you know, let's say Mark had a first round grade on a guy. And I had a third round grade on a guy. Now that's not a huge difference, but even say a fourth round grade. And there's obviously a difference of opinion. Mm -hmm. So my way of of settling that, and we never fought, but the was, you know what? We both need to look at tape. We need to look at it together. I need to look at it through your eyes, and you need to look at it through my eyes. I know what you like. I know what you don't like. You know what I like. You know what I don't like. 
Now mm -hmm. let's look at it again and look at it from that fashion and see if we can come up with an opinion that's a little bit more incentive. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, that's happened. There were times where I'd say, you know, Mark, you're right. I was wrong. I can see, I can see what you meant here. And vice versa, where he'd say it. I mean, you're not going to be too stupid or too stubborn not if, if you can see that you're obviously, you missed something. It's very easy. You go into a school to make you making a school call. You're not looking at one guy, especially in the southeast. You know, you're looking at eight or nine. You know, so you you, you might have missed something in that go through. Where I was just looking at top guys, so I yeah. was looking at them with a little keener eye. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, a lot of people in the chat room are talking about Justin's. Uh, development and that if they could just put wet, more weapons around him, sort of like what Brock Purdy has at San Francisco, you know, Brock Purdy's numbers when Debo Samuel is out and uh, his left tackle was out, they went on a three game losing streak. They're back and that offense looked like one of the better offenses of this century. So, what do you think? I mean, you're against Marvin Harrison. I think this will, will segue us to the wide receiver talk. You're, you're not interested in investing a first overall pick or a first top three pick on a wide receiver. Why is that, and how can we get more weapons around Justin Fields? Well, you know, I had a Twitter X discussion with a guy here. Well, the league's changed. Your, your way of thinking is, you know, it's old, it's old fashioned. No, it's not. Remember how we talked about, you know, going back, you're always trying to figure out where can I get, say, the third tackle? Where can I get the, the fourth corner? And you use averages and you go back 10 years. And you, and you see this. Okay, over the and, – and with corners, I go, we can go back over 20 years now. And 12 to 15 corners go in the first three rounds. Happens every single year. So you know <laughs> – you know, pretty much what you're getting in the second and third round with the corner. You know, it's, it, it, but it's obviously how you have them graded. So, you know, if you're in, if you're taking a corner in the third round, you're going to get a guy probably somewhere between nine and 14 on your board mm -hmm. at, at the position, maybe eight and 14. You know, so it's the same thing with, you know, now, change with running backs because running backs have, have fallen out of the equation completely going back, you know, almost 20 years now. And But with wide receivers, the last wide receiver to go number one was Keyshawn Johnson. The next one to go as high as four was the um, – what was his name? Sammy – from Clemson, Buffalo took him at four. Doug Whaley traded up to take him. Got fired over that making that trade because he basically busted. He didn't bust, but he didn't play up to the the Sammy Watkins didn't play up to the the expectations expectations of the fourth pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. Jamar Chase was fifth. You can't tell me Jamar Chase isn't one of the best receivers in the game. Okay, AJ Hill from the. Philadelphia went 51st overall. Is he one of the best receivers in, in football? 
<laughs> yeah. Adams with Oakland used to be with Green Bay. Went in middle of the second round. You know, so it's not a position that you take with those picks. Fifth, different story. You know, because that's when, if there's really good ones, that's when they start to go. But in the first three or four, no. First of all, if I'm, if I'm Ryan, if I got one or two, I'm getting the hell out of there. And chances are you're not going to be, then you're going to be probably too low, depending on who trades up. But you're probably going to be too low to make that pick. But here's the other thing. And this has been proven time and time and time again in the league. Just because you're the first player taken at a position, and I don't care what you did in college, that doesn't mean you're going to be that great, as great as you were in college in the pros. Right. You know, that that's why guys who were second-round picks and third-round picks turn out to be all pros and first-round picks turn out to be okay. You know, it, it's just it's the way it is. But there's a few other receivers in this draft that are pretty damn good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. One, I can't even say their names, all their names. But the kid at Washington, oh, he's a um, freak. Odunze. Yeah, Rome Odunze. Rome yeah. O-D-U-N-Z-E, I think as I said. Yeah. He's a freaking freak. Yes. And he's... About the same height as Marvin, probably a little heavier. We'll find out at the combine who's faster. But I'm going to venture to say that they're going to be pretty similar mm-hmm. when it comes to testing. And you look at his numbers the last two years, they're the same as, as Marvin Harrison. He doesn't have a dad who's in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And he didn't go to the the – a school like Ohio, you know, Pacific Northwest School, you find out about him three days after the game. Where Ohio State, you find out about it one minute after the game. You know, there's always yeah. that delay. Um, if you get him at 10, are you that much worse off and having a, a better player at a, a more prominent position? Okay, now you got two guys at, at, at LSU. You got neighbors. And the neighbors isn't quite as big. He's six feet, but he's got real long arms, so he plays longer. I can't think of the other guy's names. He's a, both of those guys are freaks. And you watch the tape, mm-hmm. they're not good. They're outstanding. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's other good guys there. It's not a one receiver draft. Right. Uh- Muck Muck, I think, says it well. He says, I love Marvin Harrison Jr. too, but he's not that much better than Rome or Keon Coleman. And so if you're looking and at Keon this Coleman's a- another one. Keon Coleman, the last couple of days has been, last couple of games has been hurt because he didn't have a quarterback. Right. Know, the starter <laughs> goes down, and the, the backup was in against Florida. He couldn't hit water from a boat. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy who, the, the freshman who played Saturday night, he couldn't hit the boat from the boat. Both of them were terrible. And so, which brings up another point. Did Florida State get screwed? Not my opinion, because the because I saw, you know, a, a post you had on X. 
It's about who are the best teams now. And the final rankings came out yesterday. They didn't come out Friday. And going into yesterday, Florida State's not one of the top four teams in the country because they don't have a quarterback. They yeah. can't compete in that in that uh, four-team playoffs. Yeah, they had a great year. Yeah, they won the conference. But right now, they're not as good as the teams that got in. I think we can all agree that the college football system is screwed up. I just hate the fact that you have a team that goes undefeated in the ACC, and the ACC had a really good record against the SEC, and Florida State beat two SEC teams. Now, I understand the quarterback is injured, and so they're probably not going to play as well. But you're robbing them out of a Cinderella story that they I earned. get that. I get yeah. it. But it's all what the committee saying is – I understand. How yeah. good are they going to play in the game here? Because they're going they to get blown want, out. They don't want a national championship like last year. TCU got blown out against. Right. Uh, and and uh, it's personally, I think Alabama is going to kick the shit out of Michigan. But yeah, I think I hate, so too. I, I, I hate <laughs> Michigan anyway. So that, you know, not, not, not one of my favorite schools. That and Penn State can't stand. <laughs> Yeah, that is some good stuff. All right, uh, let me get to a couple of questions here, and then we still have some things on our list of things to talk about. Uh, Ma'arifa asks, what are the chances Dan Quinn gets hired here in Chicago after he previously interviewed with the Bears before? Do do guys usually go in, you know, like for a second year, third year of of job interviews, or after they've lost a job interview – to somebody else, do they say, screw that? I don't want to go coach no, for this organization. Depends, I think it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. And his his background, his school of work, body of work, is yeah. outstanding. So yeah. he's probably the most experienced guy out there. And he's already proven he can put together a good staff. To mm-hmm. me, that's huge. You know, the, the it's who are you going to hire? See, people say, I got to hire an offensive coach or whatever. No, if you're a defensive coach, you got to hire the right offensive coach. Mm-hmm. In, in, in Flus's case, where I could be critical is he was, he wanted to be married to the scheme, but the guy hired to run the scheme might not have been the best guy to run that scheme. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to some questions here. Um, what about uh, keeping Justin Fields and drafting a quarterback in the second or third round? I think you talked about that last week, didn't you? Like a J.J. McCarthy in the second or a, um, a Jaden Daniels was supposed to go in the third, but I think he's he's worked his he's way up to the, the first round. Yeah, I can let you. He's going in the first round. Yeah, <laughs> and McCarthy's got a chance. McCarthy did not have a real good game this past weekend against Iowa, but right. you know you don't put all the weight on one game, you, especially with a quarterback. You got to look at the entire body of work, and and who he's. I always want to look at with a quarterback the toughest matchup games. Who's got the best defense? Who's going to give him the most trouble? Who's going to put the most pressure on him? And see how he plays in those games versus, 
you know, having to play the little sisters of the poor because those games don't count. Right. But show me, um, the, show me how he plays in the, in the tough games and you can come up with a, a pretty good opinion. Mm -hmm. Does Dan Quinn run a 3-4? Nobody really I, runs a 3-4. A, a Everybody runs the same thing now. Everything's you're, a hybrid. You're, it, yeah, it's a hybrid and a nickel. You might be a base 3-4. Like, um, I've gone brain dead on his name. Philly's defensive coordinator was here. Um, and, and Fangio's big disciple. Uh, basically, he was a 3-4 guy, but he didn't run a 3-4 in Philly because Philly's always run a 4-3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. he adapted his principles to a different scheme because they already had the players to fit one way, and they weren't about to change. Right. All right. What about before we, I got a couple of questions here about coaching candidates, but one of the things, and you, you've already touched upon it, but let's talk a little bit more about it. What does Matt Eberflus have to do to keep his job in 2024 as head coach of the Chicago bears? Win at least four or five. And, and not if, only win four or five, but the team's got to play. good. Right. If, you can win a game, you can win a game and, and look awful doing it. Right. Do you so think you that there's a game and, and, look, and go ahead? I'm sorry. No, do you think that there's a chance that, you know, they lose three games, but the defense plays great and it's clear that the offensive coordinator is the culprit here? Uh, because I think that we could be facing that kind of scenario. I already got the answer. Okay. <laughs> and it, it's a two-part. Who hired the coordinator? Or it's a three-part. Who hired the coordinator? Who oversees the entire team? Who had two coaches he hired, fired because of HR problems? I think his initials are M-E, and I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about him, Matt Eberflus. <laughs> Uh, let's see. A question just came in. Could you ask Greg what he thinks about Tavondre Sweat? I read that the Bears have fallen in love with him. Tavondre Sweat. I saw him in one of the games this weekend. I'm forgetting who he plays for. Do you know him at all, Greg? No, not. I haven't spent a lot of time on him. Okay, but we'll, uh, if, we'll if do some work on the, him. I'll say this, and I don't If the Bears really like somebody, they ain't about to say it to the public. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen that way. Coach, he says that you just logically fired Eberflus. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious, Coach. Um, all right. So let's get to some of these other candidates. We've talked about Slowick in Houston. He's got bloodlines of a Chicago Bear. Uh, did you say that you know him or don't know him much? I, I don't know okay. him. I knew his dad. Didn't, okay. Don't really know him. Um, and he's done a great job, and he comes from the same system, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, is he ready to be a Hope head coach? That's another guy, you know, first year as a coordinator and one year coordinator experience. Does that make you ready to be a head coach, right? Okay, and and look at the uh, Fluce was a 
coordinator for four or five years in the league. And he had to learn on the fly. It's not an mm -hmm. easy job. And you're going to make mm -hmm. mistakes. But the most important thing a young coach has got to do is hire the right staff. Mm -hmm. And delegate the, the authority accordingly. Now, D'Amico right. Ryan's, I, you'd have to go back and, and look at how long he was a coordinator. I think mm -hmm. only a few years. But he's a special, special person. I mean, people have known for years that he was a future head coach. And maybe that's the same way with Bobby Slowick. I don't know that much about Slowick. Yeah. You know, and, and, and each person. But, you know, Matt Nagy was like a one-year coordinator and really only called plays for a handful of games. Mm -hmm. You know, and usually after – you know, Kansas City had wrapped up the, the division title. They were going to be in the playoffs. And, you know, so Andy passed the torch a little bit, uh, but obviously still had a, had a big say. But reality was he wasn't ready either. Mm -hmm. So are you hiring? And I'm just throwing this out here. I'm not trying to argue against the hire or not, but are you getting basically the same thing? by hiring a Johnson or a Sloic. Yeah, interesting. Who've got very limited experience. Right. Jimmy Tony says that CJ Stroud makes slow look Sloic look really good. He, I gotta, he's outperformed I, what a lot of people thought he could do. Oh my gosh, I got to tell you, you know, I've seen two or three of their last four or five games and that kid is uh, very how how can I put it? He, there's an aesthetic quality to his quarterback play. He's he looks poised. so comfortable. It's poised. That's that's the best way to say it. I mean, I really love watching that guy play the quarterback position. That that you know it's funny. He mm -hmm. wasn't nearly as good a quarterback at Ohio State as Justin was. So Justin Justin took Ohio State further. Mm -hmm. Justin didn't lose to Ohio State. He didn't beat Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Michigan. Justin beat Michigan twice. He lost to Michigan twice. Just little things like that. Interesting. All right. Uh, more questions here to get through. Let us see what I have. Uh, Berlissimo made this comment. Uh, it says, getting the offensive coordinator right and fixing left tackle and center are more important to the offense than Caleb Williams. Proof is Brock Purdy and many other mid- uh, round quarterbacks, mid-level quarterbacks are doing well with great OCs and good lines. So first of all, uh, if if you have a general comment about what Berlismo wrote, but I also want to ask you about the center position because a lot of people want like want a center in the first round. <laughs> Get out of here. Okay, number one left tackle. Bears got their left tackle. His name is Braxton Jones, and he will be the left tackle here, and uh, barring that he's injury free for the next six, eight, ten years. His traits are rare. He's got first-round traits. He went, and I, I've said this over and over again, anybody who cannot see that this guy is great waiting to happen does not understand offensive line play. He's tall. He's long. He's strong. Yes, last year he had some problems with the lower body strength. You don't see it this year. He fixed it. Okay, he played at a very poor college school, a very low FCS level school 
terrible facilities. So he started off behind, yet he still won the starting job and didn't miss one play as a rookie. And I know for a fact that coaching stack loves this guy. This guy, they think he is an elite left tackle in the league. I agree with that. You mm-hmm. don't find tackles with his traits in the league too often. They're not there. Okay, that ended up being a steal. They were lucky. And if he hadn't gone to Southern Utah, he never would have gone in the fifth round. Yeah. If he had gone to a, a, a good power five school, he probably would have gone in the first or second round because of, of the athlete and the trait he has. He's got to run a 488 for Christ's sake. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you, he's got, you know, he's got 35 and a half inch arms. That's how you draw it up. What are we looking for? You're looking for Braxton Jones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, yeah, I, think, yeah, yeah. I just want to say quickly with Braxton, I think, you know, us fans, we get impatient and we have to realize this is a fifth round draft pick played against, uh, you know, talent in college that was nowhere near the NFL, but you have to look at what he does. And also when you hear the guy talk in the post-game interviews, how he analyzes, how he played out there, uh, it tells you that he's got great recall. He's very smart. He's very articulate. My money is on Braxton Jones. You see him do stuff in the open field, that there's not two or three tackles in the league that can do. Mm-hmm. I'll say that right now, and, I, and I, I'll swear by it. I'll, I'll go to my grave with it. He is yeah. unreal in the open field, the way he can run, adjust on the move, make a block in space. Mm-hmm. And, there, and with the scheme they're playing, he is the perfect fit. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Excuse me. But so I, that's not a need, and I don't care who's in the draft. All right, let's talk about center. Okay, center, it's – if you've got a real veteran line, then I can see drafting a center. You're not going to take a center. Very few centers go in the first round, and there's not a first-round center in this draft. Mm -hmm. The – it's – even though he doesn't get the notoriety – Old Troops was a third round pick. Even though he, you know, the center doesn't get the notoriety, he's the most important player on the line. He's the glue. He's the captain of the offensive line. He makes things run. Everything goes through him. He makes the line calls. He directs traffic. He's got to be smart. Okay, to put that on a rookie, there's been a couple that have done it, but not a lot. Not like you see a bunch of rookies coming in and playing right away and playing to a high level. You're better off getting a good veteran, or if if you've got a real veteran line, then you can do it because of of what you got around them. You can have one of the guards take on that role of directing traffic, making the line calls, whatever. But when you look at this team, you got Nate Davis, missed part of the season. He's had a pretty darn good career at Tennessee. Can he do that role? I don't know. I don't know enough about him. Okay. Uh, Kevin, been hurt every year. Missed some time. 
damn good player. And he's, you know, he's got the ability to be one of the better guards in the game, but he's still relatively inexperienced. So his, mm-hmm. is he ready to assume that role? All right. Now you got Braxton at tackle. You're not going to have tackle do it, but you got a second year tackle and a rookie tackle. So it just doesn't make sense to me that you'd stick another rookie in there to play center. Could it happen? Yes. Will it happen? I'd say 50-50 at best. Unless they get a guy, and here's what's the important part, and, and is when you get into the interview process, and I'm not talking about the combine interview because that's 15 minutes. Okay. okay. I'm talking, you know, you bring them in or you make a, a, a school call in, in the spring and do a private workout. You know how they did the, the private workout with, with Wright and they spent hours with them. Mm-hmm. You got to do the same thing with, with some of those centers and find out, is there a guy that we can trust doing that job? Right. And then if you say yes, then you take them. Okay. But if not, then, and, and, and you know, maybe the answer is going to be done before that because they could sign a free agent. And I don't know who the hell's out there at free agency. Or well, the other option I got, is. I got it flashed up on the screen uh, right now, as a matter of fact. So uh, uh, clearly Sam Mustafa's not coming back to the Bears. Ryan Jensen. And, but at the top of the uh, at the top of the list are Connor Williams from the Miami Dolphins, Andre James from the Raiders. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry from the Broncos, Tyler Biadzet from the Cowboys. He's he's really good. Uh, Coleman Shelton from the Rams, Evan Brown from Seahawks. Starts to drop off around here. Connor McGovern isn't too bad with the Jets, uh, and uh, Tristan uh, Cologne from uh, Colon <laughs> Cologne from the Cardinals. Some of these guys I don't know at all. No, and I I have to do my own work, so I have a, mm-hmm. a good feel because I don't spend a whole lot of time this you know, looking at other teams this time of the year. I'm looking at college players and I'm looking at, you know, the Bears and the Bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, that's what it's going to get down to. Or the the other option, and again, is, <clears throat> well, first, who's going to be the offensive coach? And if, if there's a new coordinator and they put in a whole new scheme, that might change the blocking scheme wouldn't affect the guards and tackles that much. You might want to beef them up. If you go to a little different type, you might, might want them to put on a little bit more weight because um, they won't have to play out space as, space as much, but you still got to have that conductor. And mm-hmm. is Jatiree Carter capable of doing that from a size standpoint and a strength standpoint, an athletic standpoint, no question about it. He was a tackle in college. He's playing guard here. But is he capable of doing, of running a line? Right. Again, I, I, you know, not knowing the player, coaches would know. Mm-hmm. I mean, put it this way. It, it, if the coaches thought he could, I'd at least try to work him in practice mm-hmm. at the position to, to see if it's a worthwhile transition for the spring, you know, uh, and to the, now we don't know what the hell goes on in practice anymore. The media is not really allowed in except for the first couple minutes. So could he be, he could be, we just don't know about it, mm-hmm. but 
he is a, I know he's a good guard prospect, and he's proven to be able, when he's had a play, to play pretty good. Absolutely. Can he play center? I don't know. A lot of people uh, in the chat are praising the play of Lucas Patrick. He is somebody that you praise. You saw his tape in his last season with Green Bay, and you said this guy can really play center. Fans grew a little sour with him when he was put in at guard after some injuries and so forth. And he, yeah, and he was but, hurt a lot. Right. And, but and now – He's been up and down. Yeah, but, I mean, he's, he's played more good than bad. Recently, he's had yes. the bad plays, too. Oh, yeah. And his, so, his, but, his contract's up. So that tells right. me he won't be back. He's costing he won't. Four, I don't think so. He's costing him $4 million right now. I can't okay. see them doling out, giving him a raise. Mm -hmm. I don't think Cody Whitehair or him will be here next year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, Lucas Patrick, I there. I think there's a sliver of a chance, but the, the injuries and the fact that he gets injured so often at his yep. – Stage of his career, early thirties, probably would have them look for another veteran. Well, part, and, you know, part of it is he's a what three oh five. He's a beefed up three oh five. Yeah, he's probably a natural two eighty, two seventy five. Ah, like okay, interesting, interesting. Now, uh, Jason Dan Kelsey's Keen. only two eighty five, mm -hmm. strong as an ox, and he don't mm -hmm. get hurt. Okay. Uh, let's see. What do we have here in terms of questions? Uh, Greg, is all this talk of Warren wanting to clean house just bullshit? What makes anyone think he knows how to build a, bet a team better than Ryan Poles? We've talked about this a little we bit. We talked at, at, at the beginning. And first of all, that's strictly rumor that he wants to clean house. Albert Breer. And rumor also says he's going to be more involved in football operations, and we already addressed that. Mm -hmm. Contractually, Ryan Poles has control over all football operations. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you try to take that away from him, you're valid, you're invalidating his contract. Mm. Mike Withrow wants to know to him, do you blame the coaches for Justin Fields' play when they went two and two? with a rookie D2 quarterback who had almost zero practice time with the starters. There, there's still a contingent of Chicago Bears fans here who look at the play of Tyson Bajan in those four games that he started for the Chicago Bears and compare him favorably to Fields. What do you say to those fans, Greg? I love I love the upside of Tyson Bajan. You you know that. I, oh, yeah. I think he, you know, that's – he was a product of there hadn't been a D two guy a D two quarterback drafted in like forever, and mm -hmm. so you knew he was going to be available as a free agent. But it's not like nobody knew about him. He played in the Senior Bowl. Everybody mm -hmm. knew about him. Okay, so it was just, do I take a chance and draft him? And they didn't. Uh, to get back to Fields. <clears throat> I put the blame on on what they're trying to do with them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's something that Coach T has been saying now for several weeks and uh, something that we'll be talking a lot about. You know what's what's I find fascinating, uh, Greg? I don't know if you've ever been a part of this, uh, but this town, over the next two, three months, this town could have a mini 
war going on between the Justin lovers and the non-Justin lovers. It seems like both groups are very, very passionate. I've never, in my time as being a Bears fan, and I'm going back to the late 60s, I've never seen anything like this before. You know, there was a quarterback, and we knew it was Rex Grossman, we, because Lovey told us to. <laughs> uh, we knew it was Jay Cutler. We knew, you know, and, and this, but this is like, wild have you ever witnessed anything like this um i think at that position it kind of goes with the territory sometimes depending mm -hmm. on what's going on <clears throat> and they're going to have the number one pick and we've already <clears throat> discussed this at length mm -hmm. <clears throat> about <clears throat> those guys <clears throat> and we'll do it more <clears throat> as we get <clears throat> sorry it's getting that time that's closer to the draft. Um, but I think if Ryan ends up with one or two, and I think he's going to end up with one, that he's going to do just what he did last year. He's going to trade the pick early. He's going to trade it in March. Mm -hmm. So he knows exactly mm -hmm. what he can do and what he can't do. He wants to have it set in stone. Yeah for free agency so he can plan free agency accordingly and the draft accordingly. Hmm. And if what? they don't trade the pick, then they've made mm -hmm. up their mind of taking a quarterback. It's really that simple. So you're going to know in March. There are some people who were critical of that approach because they, they felt like perhaps you could drive the price up by, by, keeping bidders for that overall number one pick on their the edge of their seat until draft day. Let's say you. What's better than getting the number one pick the following year? Mm, I can't think of anything. <laughs> Two number ones? I don't know. And, and a number one receiver. <laughs> oh, Jeff Willis loves Marvin Harrison, and he is hoping that you will say yes. Greg, would you be on board with the Bears moving down to say number three and taking Marvin Harrison there? <laughs> I already answered that question. I'm not taking him in the top four. <laughs> there you go, Jeff. It's not going to happen. And I've already said why. And, you know, like I said, you can't tell me that those two guys from LSU and the kid from Washington – aren't going to be better as pros. There's uh -huh. no lot. They might not be, but guess what? Mm -hmm. They might be a whole lot better too. Yeah. Um, getting back to the coaching thing, I, I've been saving this one. I, I want to make sure we get to it. He's, he's asking, why do you think Brian Flores and Jim Harbaugh do not have a shot? I know why with Jim Harbaugh, because you've stated it a million times. He, he's a crackpot. <laughs> I saw I saw somebody I, it might have been Ross said Ross he said wait no it wasn't him it was somebody else he goes you know what he is he's uh he's what's the word here he's autistic and you know he's so he's in the weight room by himself and he's walking wow. up and down carrying this mm -hmm. this you know a couple hundred pounds of weights back and forth you know during mm -hmm. the thing he's just a total nutcase I can't stand his sideline antics. Mm -hmm. I think they're very unprofessional. He looks like a two-year-old. Uh, he cries like a little baby. I think that the, the way he handles himself 
would not work. Yeah, it worked 10 years ago. It's 10 years later. The players yeah. are different. I don't think it would work with NFL players today. And the most important thing is he has literally, now he's got a pretty good PR department trying to push his name and has been. Yep. He has been for the last two coaching cycles begging for an NFL job. And every NFL team has gone like this. <laughs> no, we don't want you, including the Chicago Bears. Ooh, okay. <laughs> what, what is it they, did not what, interview him two years ago. What does they say to Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> now, I'll take his brother. If his brother wants the job, take him in a minute. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Flores, Flores and, and I don't think the lawsuit has anything to do with it. It's... A lot of stuff that you're never going to hear about that went on in Miami. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I know a guy who interviewed for a position, on, uh, a very high position on that staff. Mm -hmm. And he came out of it and said, oh, my God, I'd never take that job. I'm never going to, I'll never work for that guy if he's the last guy in the world. And he mm -hmm. took. He, he talked to some other people on the staff, and he said, don't do it. You know, Harbaugh's a nutcase, so is Flores. If you yeah. put him in a head coaching role, because he micromanages everything. Mm -hmm. And the general manager down there is a friend of mine. He's a good kid. And the easiest guy in the world to get along with. Mm-hmm. If you can't get along with him, you can't get along with anybody. Then you got a problem, right? Yeah. Right. And they could not get along. I mean, you know, he tried to bully him all the time. And mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, he just, he wore out his welcome. It's mm. real simple. Not that he can't coach. He's a great coordinator. No question about it. He's not a head coach. And, you know, that can be said about a lot of guys. You know, Weren't they, there problems? They, they reach their limit. Weren't there problems down in Miami between him and Tua Tagovailoa, the quarterback? I, 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 that I think, part, I, I, I don't remember that part. Yeah, I know I'm there vaguely, was problems with. I know there was problems with with Greer. I, you know, I know there was problem with assistant coaches. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll tell you when we get off the air who the coach was I'm referring to, okay. and uh, I just don't want to make it public. Sure. Sounds good. Let me see if I got, can uh, squeeze in another question or two before we get out of here. Jeff Willis wants to know, on the other side of the ball, Justin Jones's contract is up after the year, too. I don't see him back, although he's played better. They need to get Dexter and Pickens more reps. What do you think of the future of Justin Jones? Does he return on year three? I got a feeling they might still draft a three-tech uh, defensive lineman. Uh, they could. I, I think Justin's played really well the last five, six weeks. You can't mm -hmm. take that away from him. Yep. Not only has he, he played well, he's made some big plays. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you notice him. You see 93 out there making plays. Mm -hmm. uh, Gervon's getting better. Pickens is getting better. And they're earning more play time. Gervon's mm -hmm. Dexter's getting more snaps than Pickens is, but both of them are going to be very, very good 
interior defensive lineman in this league. Um, Billings, they've already given an extension to. Does that mean you go with a, you know, get another rookie, or do you give? If you can bring Jones back at the same price, you might do it. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it's who's going to be the coach? Are they going to make a coaching change, and what's what's the scheme going to be? Because that could change things a little bit on both sides of the ball. As far as you know, what kind of player you're you're looking for? Right. Mm. Uh, let's see. I'm going to pick one of these last four questions as the final question. Which will it be? Let's see. Let's go with uh, Creighton asked us a while ago. I have a question. What does everyone think of David Shaw? That's the head coach over at Stanford. Was head coach. He resigned a year ago. Oh, oh that's right. What do you think about him? Really good coach. And that's a name that is really an interesting name mm-hmm. because he's a damn good coach. Now, he had some struggles at Stanford, but that's not – you can't always put that on the coaching staff at Stanford because of the academic forces that you, you know, you're forced to overcome, you know, because there's a lot of kids they just won't admit into the school that are quality players, but they aren't quality enough student mm-hmm. to meet the uh, demands of, of the Stanford administration. So they don't get the players that USC gets, UCLA gets, but they play good. You know, they play hard. Uh, but lately, you know, people Shaw decided to step down and, so, you know, a lot of guys left via the portal uh it's a tough place to to recruit especially not i mean shaw was able to recruit fairly good not to the level of the top schools but mm-hmm. fairly good you know and, and the guy who's there now it's going to take him some time to dig his feet in and, and be able to get it maybe we'll do it he's an interesting guy and he would be a guy if there's an offensive guy that might be head and shoulders above some of these coordinators at him. So it's it's a it's a good name. Yeah. I've always been intrigued by him. Um no he's he's a he's a well spoken, intelligent, uh, well rounded coach and he comes from a coaching family. His dad coached in the league forever. All right, final question I have for you and then we'll get out of we here. We got one more we forgot. The David Terrell story. Oh, yeah, but before – no, no, do the Terrell story, and then I'll, I have my question for you. Go ahead. Well, there's a guy on, on, on X the other day, and I don't know <laughs> how it happened. All of a sudden he said, well, drafting it, David Terrell was all Angelo and Gabriel's fault. And I said, <laughs> no, we didn't draft him. Yes, you did. I was told. No, we didn't. We got hired June 13th of, 2000, of 2001. The draft was in April of 2001. He was drafted by um, Billy Reese was the college director and Mark Hatley was the, they didn't have a GM then. Mark Hatley was the vice president of player personnel. That's who drafted him. Okay. If we had been running that 2001 draft, Mm -hmm. that guy never would have been drafted by 
the Chicago Bears. Not in a million years. Now I go back to the pro day. Jer- I'm there with, as a giant representative. Jerry's there as a Tampa Bay representative. But, we, you know, we were hanging out together because we're, you know, really close friends. And the biggest asshole at that pro day was David Terrell. Oh, no. Barna. Okay, so, you know, they got their indoor facility. Everybody goes into the indoor facility to run their 40, do the three cone, the 20 brought, you know, the, the 20 yard shuttle and the long jump, vertical jump, and position drill, all that stuff. David says, I'm not running on this turf. I want to run on the track. The track is in a, an adjacent building. David, you can run on the track if you want. You're going to have to wait until the end, until we, we get everybody done here. And just so you know this, when you run on a track, you take time. You add time to it because it's an extremely fast surface. So if you run a 4.50 on that track, you're going to get a 4.65 time. That must that's not fair. That's not fair. Well, that's the way it is. So argue went back and forth. Just his antics and being a total a-hole added probably a good hour and a half to the pro day. You know, everybody's on a schedule. You got to catch a flight and get to the next one. Oh, my goodness. I remember, I remember this, and it's kind of funny. I'm with Jerry, and I go, big dog, I'm too glad neither of us are going to have to put up with this asshole. (laughs) And he goes, I hear you. So now. (laughs) That's hilarious. We get hired hired June 13th. Jerry gets hired June 13th. I get hired June 14th. I fly in June 15th. I walk into the office. First thing Jerry says to me is, we spoke too soon. We got him, and now we got to love him. Did you guys look at maybe moving him and trading him? I I mean, at that point, it was almost... And then he had a, you know, he ended up... Bad foot, and he had to have surgery, yeah. and yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, he just was a prima donna. He was a wide receiver, a diva, indeed. Well, and then after that, he, after his pro career, he had trouble with the law. He was arrested, uh, mm-hmm. uh, charged with a felony back in 2013. I'm looking at here. Uh, he was cleared of drug and battery charges, but uh, he's he's. This trouble has been around David Terrell all his life, and so hopefully he's doing better now. Uh, I just, you know, was he talented? Yes. Mm -hmm. But we always put an emphasis on character, but more football character than, than personal character. Personal character, you look at it and you see if it's something you can attempt to overcome. And if the guy has really strong football character, a lot, and Lawrence Taylor being one of them, the the football character will at least keep the guy in line to the enough level in most cases. Mm-hmm. You know, and we felt that he was below the line in every area, and that's you know, why you know we would never would have signed off on him then, but, you know, we came seven weeks after. Hmm. Too late. Yep. All right, my question for you is Bears-Lions, of course, this is their second meeting. It's going to be at Soldier Field. What 
do you say about this matchup? Do the Bears have a chance against the team that is currently first place in the NFC North, but has been showing some problems, some difficulties in stopping other teams' offenses? What what expectations do you have for this game? What would you like to see? What do you expect to see? Talk about the game. Well, they, they just played them a couple of weeks ago in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And we all know they should have won that game. They didn't. Now they're coming here. You're going to have a different crowd. It's going to be outside. You're going to be in the elements. Right now, The for, it, it's early, but the forecast is like mid-30s and wet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think they got a damn good chance. You know, I, I, I think Detroit has already peaked. And that reality is starting to to hit in, and they, they lost a key player yesterday. Might have lost two. They lost their center. Ah, diagnosed. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, well, he's having an MRI today, so I'm going to assume he isn't playing this week. Okay. Uh, they had a defensive lineman that left, which was a pretty good one, interior guy, that left two or three times during that game yesterday mm. with injuries. So, you know, you know how that stuff is. You, all of a sudden, it gets to Wednesday, and you can't walk, and you're not practicing and everything else. So I, I think they got a damn good chance. I, I really do. And I think the, the players know that, yeah, we should have won that game. We gave that game away. Mm-hmm. They didn't beat us. We beat us. Now right. we got we got a second chance. Now, if they're competitors, it'll be a hell of a game. Yeah. If they aren't competitors and they get blown out, you can, you know, Start saying this. <laughs> the big thing about the Bears' uh, win over the Vikings was the fact that Justin Fields led them down the field so that they can get the game-winning field goal after two fumbles and not having much success in his pro career with fourth-quarter comebacks. How important is it for Justin Fields to have a strong four quarters uh, or at this point, are, are we kind of saying, hey, it's all on the OC. You know, if there's some mistakes with Justin's play, we have to forgive him. No, I, I, there's validity to it. He's got he's to step up. And he did yeah. step up. Especially, I'll tell you now, from a pressure standpoint, he had pressure on him, especially after those two fumbles. Yep. And now, granted, we, we talked about it last week. If there's a good fumble, those were, I mean, he, he got, those were perfect hits for both of those cases and 80, 90% of the guys are going to fumble those, but that's no excuse. He fumbled mm-hmm. and he overcame that adversity, put him in position to win the game and they won the game. So that that's a positive, but now you want to see it again. If they get into that situation, you want to see it again mm-hmm. because we haven't seen it enough. And that's part of the evaluation process of him, you know, going forward of do we draft another quarterback or will we stay with it? Big decisions ahead, and we'll be covering it all here at the Barroom Network. Great, Gabriel. Great, great. 95. Hey, I'm to talk to you for a second. I will indeed, and I just want to let people know that tomorrow we're back with a live uh, Bear Their Souls, and Wednesday a full slate of programming afternoon, evening, and night. So for everyone here at the Barroom Network, 
Take care. See you next time. See you later.